Welcome to Rewired Inspired. I am your host, Elena Petrescu, former accountant, now hypnotist, and body language business trainer. My purpose is to help you rewire your mind to see infinite possibilities and inspire you to create them in your life and business. I share tips, tools, and strategies that help you suspend disbelief so you can quickly overcome challenges, eliminate doubt, remove self-imposed limitations, and create the life and business of your dreams. I believe that good things happen to those who are inspired. Inspired minds are focused and they take action. Through inspired action, people evolve. They gain confidence, change unwanted behavior and habits, develop self-awareness, and realize their full potential. A life with more money, achievement, and impact. You'll hear from leaders that share their story of transformation and how they transition from difficult situations towards genuine empowerment in their life and business. You will learn how you can model their lesson and rewire inspire your mind to quickly reach your full potential, making your life and financial goals a reality. Are you ready to be inspired? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. It's Elena here from Rewired Inspired, and I have a very special guest today. I want to introduce you to my special guest. His name is Don Spencer, and Don was voted the world's fastest hypnotist. Don is the CEO of Sleep Now, and he is considered by his peers and friends to be one of the greatest performers in his profession. He was born and raised in LA, California, and appeared on MTV Asia, Studio 23, Fox, Playboy TV, Virgin Radio, Voice of the Caribbean, NBC, ABC, CBS, and has been heard on hundreds of radio programs worldwide. Don has trained over 25,000 people in hypnosis and has hypnotized over 1,000 people worldwide. He traveled the USA and abroad, giving lectures and seminars, creating miracles on demand with his hypnosis skill. Don taught hypnosis for four years at a local community college. Plus, he hosted a weekly radio program called the Master Mind Hour. Thousands of people tuned in. In 1986 to present day, Don began his work as a hypnotherapist. His most influential teachers at the time were Charles Tibbetts, Orman McGill, Jim Russell, and Gil Boyne, just to name a few of them. He developed the Hypnosis Training Institute of Idaho in 1989. He also did hypnotism training internationally in Utah in 1981 and Personal Achievement Center for Private Consultation and Morphit into Sleep Now Production, Inc. Sleep Now went online in 1994 as a leader in hypnosis information and technology. From 1995 to 2002, Don Spencer produced the longest-running weekly hypnosis shows in the world and at the time for an amazing 320 straight weeks. He has begun traveling internationally with his Sleep Now Comedy Hypnosis Show, his wellness clinic and corporate program. Please welcome Don Spencer. Hi, Don. Welcome. I'm honored to have you on my show. 
Thank you. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm enjoying being here and it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Don. Now, Don, I know you have such an interesting career. I want you to talk about how you started in hypnosis because I know you have such a fascinating story. So please talk to me because you started hypnosis at the age of 12. So talk about that, please. My career in hypnosis actually began in the, in the uh, early 1980s. But my first experience with hypnosis, I was 12 years old. And um, I had a friend, uh, you know, a girlfriend. Her father was in the Navy and he used to hypnotize her. When, you know, you want to see what my dad you know, has taught me how to do. And I go, OK. And so she had me sit down. She put her head in my lap and she wanted me to rub her, her temples and have her count backwards from 100. And she goes, now, when I can't say anything more, then you can tell me to do whatever you want and, and I'll do it. And I thought, OK. So I did that. And then, you know, then she didn't say anything. And I would say, OK, stand up, sit down, laugh, cry. You know, it was, it was, it was kind of like, you know, the game Simon Says. And that's kind of, you know, the way my mind worked, because at 12 years old, you don't you don't really connect the dots with hypnosis. So, you know, to fast forward that into the future, when I was uh, going to college studying psychology, and I believe it was in my third year of undergraduate in my abnormal psychology class, there is a paragraph on hypnosis. And it reminded my mind of that event of, that happened when I was 12, because I had never really given it any thought ever until I was in college. And so it, it totally fascinated me. It reawakened that, that concept of what, what is hypnosis? So as Providence would have it, I started searching for someplace locally, and I was living in uh, Escondido, California at the time, which is in Southern California. And I found a, an individual's name was um, Al Krasner, and he was holding a, a public demonstration lecture. And there's maybe 200 people there, and I went there and watched it. And he was talking about the mind and how the mind works, and then he was doing demonstrations. And I was sitting there watching this, and, I was, and it just kind of hit me. It's like, Okay, that's it. That's kind of like the missing link, you know, because where psychology is a study of human behavior, hypnotherapy is a science of altering, changing, and amending behavior. So it kind of, you know, really it turned my thinking around. And I immediately uh, signed up for his class. And it was a weekend class. So I learned a little bit about hypnosis and had my first experience really being hypnotized and hypnotizing individuals consciously. And after that, then I took another class with, I believe after that it was with Gil. And that was a three-week course in Los Angeles, Gil Boyne. And then I took you know, various courses like with Charles Tebbets and uh, Orman McGill. But I think my greatest influence probably had to be Jim Russell. He's no longer practices. He's lives up in Montana. But I studied with him for a year and a half. And he had classes locally in Escondido where I lived. And I went to his classes for maybe five nights a week. And on weekends, I did that for a year and a half. It was really in-depth. You know, we went everything from beginning hypnosis to advanced, you know, analytical hypnotherapy, therapeutic techniques. And, you know, he was kind of a pioneer. He was before NLP, you know, and he wrote a book called Psychosomatic Parenthetics, which was kind of like NLP. But it, it, was, it was a great class. You know, and through that class, you know, we, we did a lot of great things. We learned deep programming. We used to study cults. And, you know, we would help exit people out of cult mind control groups. You know, we'd mm -hmm. get them out of there and we'd have to, like, wash their brains out and get them back to normal. And we would go to 
to different, you know, cult group awareness happenings and watch people as they got brainwashed and sucked into these different cults. And that was really pretty interesting to do that, at, you know, aspect. So that's what really got me into hypnosis. After that, I jumped into hypnotherapy full time. I actually dropped out of college because I was so fascinated with hypnotherapy. So after, you know, three or four years of you know, psychology and all the other academic classes you take is, you know, when you go to college, I just said, been there, done that. This thing just fascinates me. And so I jumped into hypnosis full time, opened up a clinic in Southern California. And, um, you know, after a few months, I moved up to Idaho and opened up another clinic because at the time I became a single father, you know, I had three kids at the time. So it was just me and them. And I, at the time I moved to Idaho, I opened up a clinic and started teaching also at the College of Southern Idaho. And I did that for four, four years, about four years yeah, at college. And that really was really instrumental to me as far as, you know, really honing my skills with doing hypnosis and doing demonstrations and working with groups of people. So, you know, the classes I taught were on hypnosis, self-hypnosis, meditation, sexuality, past life regression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different healing modalities. So I, I just jumped full force into everything. And then I started school, you know, Hypnotherapy Training Institute in Idaho. And, and what I liked about that is I would invite people who are very, very smart, smarter than me in so many ways in different fields. Like I invite psychiatrists and social workers and psychologists, police officers, FBI, all these people who would come and they would talk to my class. You know, I didn't want to just teach hypnosis because if people were going to come to learn hypnotherapy, I wanted them to have a well-rounded education. So I wanted to incorporate religion, the arts, sociology, and whatever, whatever I can, you know, could bring in there to introduce people to, you know, more information to make them a better human being when working with individuals. So that's how I, really how I got my start with doing hypnosis. And that was back in 1983. And looking back now, because like your, your career is very, very interesting. Looking back, is there anything that you feel, oh, I wish I should have done that, or I wish I should have done this? Not really. You know, I mean, it's, because I started I started off doing hypnotherapy, and um, oh, just one thing was a little bit different in your introduction. Over a million people hypnotized, not, not a thousand. Oh, a million. Sorry, my mistake. Over oh, a million people. No, yes. That's okay. It's interesting because when I began doing hypnotherapy, you know, I kind of said, okay, universe, give me, you know, show me what you got. You know, give me, give, give me your stuff. Yeah, let's see what's out there. And so I spent my first few years working mostly with multiple personality disorder, which now is called dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Back then it was uh, MPD. And I worked a lot with uh, adult victims of early childhood sexual abuse, satanic ritual abuse. And I was actually on a, on a, on a force. It was a police force that covered the whole aspect from Southern Idaho into Utah because there was a lot of satanic ritual abuse going on and that we uncovered. And so I, you know, got involved with, uh, you know, with the task force and uncovering that and, and helping people come out of it. So that was something I would never want to do again, but it was definitely eye opening. So, you know, I did that for a while and, you know, then I moved down to, to Utah because I got so busy in, in Idaho and I was having students coming from Utah and different places to study with me in little little old Idaho where I was at. So I moved to a bigger market. And after a couple of years of opening up a new school in Utah, maybe it was three years, and I started at that time doing comedy hypnosis shows because I needed I just needed a little bit of laughter. You know, after after working with such intense 
individuals on their their traumas and their life stories, I needed to laugh a little bit. So I started working in nightclubs. I worked in nightclubs for about five or six years. While I was doing my clinic, I did my clinic, but during the day, and I was still teaching. I had, you know, teaching on weekends and in the evenings. Um, and then I was working in comedy clubs doing a, you know, a, a circuit in the Northwest until I finally got invited by a local theater in Salt Lake City who wanted me to come and do a weekly show, which I actually turned them down when they first approached me because I didn't want to, to do a weekly show in a theater for a group of individuals that was unlike anything I had ever done. After working in nightclubs, you're used to, you know, being a little bit unbridled in your approach of working with people. So yes. I had to put it down. But I did. So I, I finally said to the guy, I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, I talked to him on a Monday and he said, start Saturday night. So I kind of reinvented my whole show, the approach that I did. And, you know, the opening night, it was kind of nice because that's when Ormond McGill and individuals who, who are in the world of spaceship hypnosis will be familiar with that name because he's kind of like what we call the grandfather of stage hypnosis. But uh, he was a friend of mine, him and his wife, before they passed away. And he happened to be in Utah that weekend when I opened up my show. And he's actually gave me the moniker of the world's fastest hypnotist because he watched the show and he goes, he goes, he goes, Spencer, he goes, I have never seen anybody do hypnosis as fast as that. Because what I did, I, did, I developed a style that was so unusual, so different than anybody else had ever done it at that point. Because I wanted to to have it be very entertaining and showmanship, and I brought in aspects, you know, from the world of entertainment, like rock and roll concerts, you know, with different effects to make it really, really popular. So that, that that went for six and a half years, three hundred twenty straight weeks, and then I finally got burned out, so I don't want to do it anymore. Which was not bad because then I began getting international phone calls and emails. That's when the the, in, you know, the advent of the internet. And I just started traveling internationally doing, you know, productions around the world, which was like pretty cool. You know, you get to travel around the world and everything is paid and, you know, you have a fun time and, you know. Doing what you love, right? <laughs> yeah, so it was cool. So I, I met a lot of really, really neat people doing it that way. And um, I have a lot of friends, you know, around the world to this day that I still keep in contact with just through through that. And then, you know, I do a lot of corporate, corporate events. It, it slowed down a lot, you know, since everybody in the last two years because of this pandemic that we've been tossed into. So yes. That's a whole other story about mind control. Mind controlling, yes. I mean, you can you can yeah. talk about that if you like right now. We can, we can talk about it, but, but that's kind of been um, my career. And I also do, you know, besides doing classes and teaching hypnosis, everything from beginning to advanced hypnosis skills, you know, I also do vision quests where I take groups of people out into the wilderness and we spend a week and we, uh, you know, look into shamanism and how plant medicine can help to transform the way we act, think and feel, how to use plant medicine in a way that's creative to step into the other aspect of our, of our neurology, you mm -hmm. know, and transform ourselves and see things as they really are. It's kind of like breaking open the matrix. When you do a psych yes. psychedelics, it kind of opens up the portal to, to the other world. One of the reasons for the vision quest is that, once you learn how to enter into that world through the help of plant medicine, then you can fine tune your, your reality that you don't really need to use plant medicine to enter there. You can just step in and out of there at will, you know, by, by thought, you, know, you can just yes. have a thought and move into, you know, using hypnotic principles or, or, or whatever you want to call that. 
Like self-hypnosis in a way, right? Where yeah, well, you know, you, you think about you know, psychic. They go into a trance, or they just you know, they go into some kind of a space where they can enter in and they can see things, and they can see the future, and they can see the past. The shaman does the same thing. You know, the shaman they can go inside and they can do uh, you know soul retrievals and so forth. And then you have the schizophrenic. The schizophrenic is just an individual who has already learned. Not really learn. I mean, they're it's it's kind of it's a it's a brain thing. It's a chemical imbalance. But they're stuck in a world that the shaman, the psychic, and and other people can enter into. But they're stuck there. They just can't come out. That's what wigs them out so much. So if you can learn you know, to work with schizophrenia, you know, by just realizing that they're just stuck in a trance they can't get out of, then we can enter in that trance with them and you know maybe be of some help for them. You know, without medicine, but some people do need. Some sometimes need medicine to help. Yeah, Not- sometimes that's required. Like you mentioned something very interesting now because you've been doing hypnosis for a very long time and you've trained with people for a long time. So repetition and frequency is very important, right? Because the more you do something, the better you become at it. You mentioned that you you followed one of your mentors for a year and a half. Talk to me about that. What were the most important takeaways from that experience? A year and a half with a mentor. And why is it important to have a mentor? Because I feel that we learn vicariously. So, um, you know, what what would be something that you can share with, with the listeners about your experience that you've had following your mentor for a year and a half? Well, you know, I, I lived I lived here and it was a it was a class that he offered and I wanted to, I really wanted to know it. I wanted to know it inside and out. And Jim had a, a very interesting mind because he had a lot of um you know with you know with hypnosis and you know mind control. You know, he worked for the government too and did some some things we won't really discuss. I, I liked his approach, you know, him and his wife had a clinic in um a school down in Escondido. And so there was a group of us who, you know, studied together for the entire time. I think there was probably maybe about 20 or 30 of us, you know, that kind of stuck it out, you know, the whole time. You know, there's, of course, ongoing people floating in and out. But I, I liked the way that he thought, you know, I liked the way that he could pick it up, pick people apart. You know, you take a person, you can talk to them, and you, you know, you like, you begin to understand, you know, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, you know, and you look beyond just what the words are saying. You also look into, the body movement, you know, which is, you know, basic gestalt. Gestalt teaches, you know, yes. what we say and how the body responds may be completely different. Kind so, of like reading is body language, right? Yeah, it's like body yeah. language. So yeah. you, you do that, you know, you can learn how to read the body, you know, gestalt. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and other things we studied, like uh, Carl Rogers, you know, which was people-centered therapy, I think it was called at the time. who was, you know, back in the day, he was, you know, one of the, you know, psychology leaders and Fritz Perl, you know, with Gestalt and some other, some other individuals. Yes. Social emotive therapy and uh, transactional analysis. All good, all very, very good systems. But I really, and then of course, you know, with, with uh, today, you know, you have with like Paul Ekman, who does micro expressions when you yes. have free basic. The facial emotions. Yes. I've actually yeah. trained in that. So little anger. Yeah. People make with their eyes or their brows. Yeah. Anger, you know, frustration, and all those different things. So, and they're you know, they happen just like that, you know. And so you you pick up on that, and you you just take a mental note of it, and it's mm-hmm. like I got this, you know. So, so yeah. So I studied with a lot of you know really fascinating people, and I 
Yeah, I think some of the people too who were really fascinating were, you know, because I studied with a number of shamans also for quite a while, you know, really learning plant medicine and, you know, learning, you know, that aspect of the spirituality, you know, with them. Aside from my, you know, from my Christian beliefs, I try to incorporate everything that I know into into what I do, you know, as a human being with individuals. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, so it, it's just fascinating. And one of the other guys that I, that I studied with, which was kind of cool, they didn't really study with him. We just became good friends. His name is uh, Steve Van Appern, and he's down in Australia. And he's called the human lie detector. He travels around the world, not as much because of COVID, but doing, you know, lectures, you know, to big corporations and big businesses and government just on, you know, you know the you know words that we use it's tonality you know and and everything you know yeah. it, it does light detector <clears throat> test machines and the way you really, move your hands and the way you position yourself yeah yeah it's pretty cool yeah so you know we we got to talking and one day well i was i was actually in australia and he came to one of my one or two of my classes and studied with me he wanted to learn hypnosis hypnotherapy and as we got to talking, you know, we, we kind of came to the to the conclusion that we do actually the same thing where people, when he interviews people, people are trying to be deceptive. And so he's trying to find out how they're being deceptive and how to break through that lie, right? Therapy, what we do, I mean, it's the same thing. We're watching for all these cues, but yes. people don't come to us to lie, but they're they're lying to themselves. And we try to help them to come out of that, right? Yeah, we try to help them to release their emotions and and yeah, yeah that's right. And so we, so we collaborated. We actually put together a program. I don't think I have it on my website. I I, I redid my website, but it's the program is called "Is Everybody Lying?" Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's really neat. You know, uh, you can get an ebook and you know video presentation that him and I put together. And uh, one of these days, I'll get back to my website, but it's pretty fascinating he's a real nice guy so we hit it off and we're still good friends to this day i'm very familiar with him i trained in body language so i'm very familiar with body language um, facial emotions and and how powerful they are especially for us as a as hypnotist so tell me uh, don what did you learn throughout your experiences because i know you did a lot of hypnosis shows You've traveled the world with that. What were the things that you enjoyed the most? What did you learn for that? If you could change anything, what would that be? If you would go back and say, I mean, you've done so many shows, you hypnotized a million people. And I'm sure there were times when you said, okay, myself, we learn doing something, right? I usually do something and then I go back and I say, okay, now I see, now I should have tweaked that a little bit here, tweaked that a little bit there. Is there anything that you feel, oh, maybe I should have done it this way, or maybe, or what did you learn for it? What was your takeaway? I think I can honestly say that I probably learned more about human dynamics and behavior doing doing the comedy hypnosis shows and being a therapist. Talk to me about human dynamics. What specifically? When you're, when you're working with a group of people, for example, right? Because, yeah. for example, when I was doing a show in Salt Lake City, we average, average about 500 people a week in the show. So over, over the course of my time there doing the shows, I had over 100,000 people in attendance at my show. And then after that, I got hired by the 2002 Winter Olympic to be the official Olympic hypnotist, which was kind of fun, too. But what you learn from when you work with a lot of people is that, you know, especially a group, you know, you have to 
if you've got like 20 or 30 people on stage, I mean, you're looking at all these people simultaneously. You've got to read everybody. Yes. Looking at their eyes, their lips, you know, their every little twitch, every little movement that they have, every word that you say influences them in one way or another. When you're doing the show, not only are you influencing the people on stage, your subjects, but you're also influencing the audience. The audience, yes. So you have, you know, hundreds of people out there, you know, that you get to deal with and influence. And then you got the people behind you, your subjects that you're working with. And so it's, it's kind of nice because it's kind of a, uh, you become the conductor. You know, you've got this wonderful orchestra of people in the audience. And for me, and, and I'm sure I, I speak this for, you know, most entertainers in that capacity is that I think that, that what we like is to have the audience in the palm of our hand. We yes. want people to laugh when we say laugh or to cry or to feel. You know, we're always trying to, to get people to have an emotion, to have some kind of feeling to what we're doing. To be part of the show, yes. Yeah, that's what gives us energy. That, that helps to know that we are doing something correct when we get all that feedback from people. If we hear laughter, we're going, okay, I'm doing something right. That's if we right. hear laughter, we may have to stop for a second and kind of get like, give a little look, you know, and uh, because you can use facial expressions also, you know, in, in the entertainment way to, you know, to get different reactions from the audience or from the people up on stage as well. Yes. So, so I, I, in that, so in that capacity, I learned, I think more about the dynamics of people just by doing that, because you, you have people from all walks of life, yes. all different religions, all different political spectrums. Besides that, I mean, just, and that's just here in America. But when I started going to, like the Philippines or to, to Thailand or Australia or to, or to France or to Ireland or the South America or the Caribbeans or wherever I ended up going, people were all different, you know. Or, or different culture, yes. You know, or going to, to Saudi Arabia and Dubai or to Oman. I mean, they're different cultures, you know. Different body language too because well, emotions uh, are universal, but body language is not. Try doing a show in, in Saudi Arabia. They say, okay, you cannot touch their head. You cannot touch, you know, the women in any way. And yeah. make sure they are flat on the floor, right? You can't see the bottoms of their feet. So you're always learning these different cultural you know, oddities or whatever. But the saying is, when in Rome, be as, you know, as the Romans. And so yeah. when I different cultures, I never try to impose what I believe or what I think. I'm just always going there and going, wow, this is so fascinating. What can I learn from, from the culture? What can mm -hmm. I learn from that? And it makes me a better person by, by learning that. But what I found at the crux of all that, because when I travel internationally and I do shows, I always end up doing a couple of, you know, group presentations. And then I'll, I'll, I'll squeeze some time because there's always people that want to see me privately. So I usually set up time to see, you know, maybe 20 or 30 people. So, you know, I'll go for a couple of weeks, you know, work for three or four days and, you know, have about a week and a half of downtime. But um, with that, it doesn't matter which country that you go to or what, you know, what religion or you know, political structure that a person in, is in on the emotional level, which is why people come to us to the purpose and get stuck somewhere. Everybody gets stuck for the same reason. You know, they, you know, somewhere in their life, they've experienced some kind of emotional pain and they just, they just want to feel better. Exactly. Where, you know, my role, your role and uh, the hypnotherapist comes in is, trying to help people to, you know, just feel better about who they are, you know, and help them to unravel the mysteries of their own consciousness or their own unconsciousness or subconsciousness, depending on who you want to yeah. ask. 
I usually say to people, you know, like we cannot change your past. Your past is your past, but we can change the perspective of what happened to you. So sounds like a Milton Erickson statement to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We always said that, you know, it's like a different perspective because we don't we don't change what happens. All we do is we can change the perception that a person has about that experience and you know help them to see it differently. And when they can, you know, with a different you know aspect of their mind, then people get better. You know, when they exactly. Get with, with love, understanding, and forgiveness. Those yes. are the things that heal. But that's what heals. Those are very important. Because when, when we can do that, then we can move away from the need to judge, criticize, or condemn. Because within those constraining concepts of judgments and, and uh, condemnations and criticisms is where the world falls apart and where we as an individual fall apart in our own circle of friends, family, and loved ones. That's true. And I think part of it we are experiencing right now. Right, yeah, on the global level, that's that's a whole different ball of wax with this thing that's going on with the world because it's not just America, it's not just Canada, it's just not you know. I mean, it's the whole world that this 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 global cabal has gotten together, decided that you know we're going to take over the world and we're going to force everybody to take a procedure that they don't want. That to this day has been unproven, and that as days go by, it's showing that more and more people are getting hurt by it. In any other time of human history, that jab, I don't know if you were this in Guachas, uh, some language has to be coded so they don't shut you down, that the people who get that, you know, people are suffering. You know, people are getting hurt by it, you know, and it's starting to come out, you know, and it's just, it's sad, you know, that's what's happening. And, you know, you look at places like Australia where they're locking people up and Austria where people is it, are being locked up. And now in Canada, in what, another week, you won't be able to leave the country you know, unless you have a vaccine passport, which just boils my blood to no end. Well, you know, I always say is if we have faith and we focus on doing something positive, I feel being more spiritual will always help. That takes me to my next question to you. Do you have a ritual or a practice that before you like you did so many shows? Was there anything that you did before stepping on that stage to face so many people what did you do to make yourself just to be more positive because were you nervous what went through your mind when you stepped on that stage and you had hundreds of thousands of people there share that with us because i'm sure you know as human beings we we go through so many emotions mentally did you what did you do before did you meditate did you have a mantra what did you do to before you stepped on that stage you know, it depended where I was. If I was in nightclub, I'd have a few drinks with people who get loosened up and, and we just have a great time. In other environments where that was not, you know, part of the part of what you do, I just used, you know, a hypnotic trance, you know, it's just a self-hypnosis procedure. And uh, so if you can imagine that this is my microphone, this pen, right? Yeah. So I just, you know, I, I program myself that as soon as I take the microphone, I'm no longer just, you know, Don Spencer, you know, the, the guy next door, you know, walking down the street or whatever. I am now Spencer, the world's fastest hypnotist. And so you take on this persona. And so I just simply use, you know, NLP techniques to anchor myself to this very positive state. And I get up there and I just transform myself and that's it. So you yeah. acted as if, right? That's acted as if, right? Yes. And that's what I like about entertainment is because you can, you can, you can create a whole new persona. Yeah, that's not you, but maybe it is you. But yes, it's, yes. But it's fun. It's acting. So, you know, I, I like that because you can take on this persona and you get up there and uh, 
you know, you can be this whole different individual, you know, for the hour that you're up there and then pretend, right? You know, as a mother, I used to tell my kids, pretend that you are this person or pretend that it's, it's all okay. That, that little scratch is going away. Pretend that it's no longer there. Well, you know, it's kind of like Erickson said. He goes, if you pretend very well, you know, maybe you'll, maybe, you know, maybe you'll get there. Yes. So I tell people that, yeah, you, you pretend that you're this, you know, and then maybe you're going to wake up one day and it won't be pretending anymore. Maybe you will be actually who you want to be. Who you want to be. That is right. That's right. I used to, that's Mike Munstel words. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I can't really think of a time that I was ever really nervous getting up on stage, you know, because I've always, I always enjoyed it. There are times when you get into like a bigger, when you have bigger shows where you have a thousand or five thousand people out there and you're sitting in the in the green room, you know, and you got the monitor and you're looking at all the people coming in. You're sitting there going, oh, look at all those people. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I hope I remember everything. <laughs> there, there is a little bit about that, but that's what the anchor is for, because as soon as I pick up the microphone, all that stuff just kind of dissolves. So you really did anchor that microphone. So the moment you picked that up, that's it. You went into that person who uh, you are no longer Don Spencer. You are the fastest hypnotist in the world. Yeah. And, and even to this day, even to this day, you know, I do the same thing. You know, it's like, you know, I might be a little bit, you know, like, uh, you know, here we go. Here we go. Got to get on. Got to get ready. You know, people are there. You know, they expect a certain thing. But um, that's just all monkey talk in the head. Because I've done so many shows. I can do a show blindfolded which is really a stretch <laughs> but, but you know what I, you know what I mean it, I know what you mean yeah. so much a part of who I am I don't really have to think about it I can just get out there and it doesn't matter what kind of audience I have I can move and flow into whatever whatever audience is is before me same thing with with doing lectures you know people you know want me to come and talk about something you know I, I can talk about a lot of things you know so it's it kind of flows off me very naturally because I've done it for so many years. So it becomes just becomes a part of who you are. So anybody who's you know thinking about becoming a, a hypnotist or wants to do anything in this capacity, do it over and over and over and over again. Study, you know, study with everybody. When I first started, I studied, you know, the three, four, five main people. But I went to, to conferences like with the American Council of Hypnotist Examiners on the West Coast, on the East Coast, the National Guild. I belong to both of them. Mm-hmm. I went to all their, you know, to all the conventions. Who's the new one? <laughs> the new kid on the block. There'll be another 10 year, 10 year anniversary next year in Vegas. Hypno Thoughts. So, oh, Hypno Thoughts, yes. And, uh, and Mark Savar is in, is in Vegas. He's been okay. there for about 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be 10 years. So it'll be 10 year, uh, 10 year anniversary next year. Hypno Thoughts, yes. But what I liked about the, when, I, when I ran the Hypno Thoughts a few years ago, and I heard, I heard about them when they first began, but um, I didn't really jump into it because I was kind of burned out at that point with going to all these trainings I got. Because I had trained so much, I just I didn't want to do it anymore. I just wanted to do my thing. And uh, I was finally talking to, to going to the conventions again. And I had a great time. Big group of people. No politics. Doesn't matter if you're in the East Coast, the West Coast. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, straight or gay or black or white or ugly or pretty or <laughs> <laughs> or all that stuff. It's just a group of people coming together to have a love for and to learn, it. right, from each other because and you know just want to share their craft, you know, in different ways. Yeah. And, and I like that. So good, good group of people. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Repetition and frequency. What did you take away from uh, training with Gil, Gil uh, Boyle, and 
Charles Tibbins, because I've read some of their books and some of their trainings. What was your takeaway? I know Gil Boyne was a very, like he was so focused on his hypnosis and, you know, he had his own process and he really had to take you down and really hypnotize you. Well, I won't tell you what I really think, but I'll, I'll give you an overview. <laughs> give us an overview. <laughs> I, I knew them all very well, right? Yes. You know, I was close to all of them, so we had... But give us the nuggets that helped you transition. I can tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it on the good side of everybody. From Gil, you know, I, I think probably what I, what, I, what I liked about him is he had a very direct approach. And I like yes. that. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't beat around the bush. He just got right in there and did the work. Yes. You know, it was impressive. I like that. You know, so as far as a clinician, I liked the work that he did. Charles Tevitz, I like Charles. You know, he was like this big, tall, lanky guy. And they actually, you know, wrote the book on self, you know, book, wrote a book on self-hypnosis and uh, yes, he did. therapy. And Gil actually got a lot of his concepts from Charles. Uh, you know, Gil was just, you know, more tough about it. You know, where Charles is just more, more, more of a gentle type of a soul. That's the impression I got also from the trainings and from, I mean, I have a lot of uh, audio tapes from Gil and I have some trainings from Charles and that's my impression as well. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of that personal dynamics behind the scene, but um, it is what it is with, with everybody, but uh, every, everybody has their, has their good, good, good points and their low points. <laughs> but, you know, in, in, in that respect, he was a, uh, you know, the book that he wrote, Transformational Therapy, you know, it was an okay book. I don't think it was anything special. But, you know, to, to see Gil working with people, that was good. I really enjoyed that. You know, the classes I took with, with him was really good. I learned a lot from him. Charles, you know, he came in like Gordon McGill. Because Gil, you know, he had his regular school and, and he would bring in guest lecturers. And Charles was one of those. And Orman was one of those, too. Mm-hmm. But I fell in love with both those guys because I just really liked you know, the different aspects of them. So I spent a lot of time with each one of them separately. Ormond, he was different. Ormond wasn't really a hypnotherapist in that regard. He was first a magician and who became a hypnotist because there was more money in it. Mm-hmm. But him and his wife, he was such a gentle soul. And, you know, he did, you know, some stage hypnosis training that I took from him in the early days, probably back in maybe 82, 83. He did a course, you know, at, uh, at the Institute, I think. I think I took that with either with Jim or either with, with Gil. I don't remember which one. So many. I have one more question for you. Yeah, please. If you can share something with the audience, something that you can maybe teach in a very short amount of time, a couple of minutes about hypnosis, what would you say to my listeners? Well, I come from the you know persuasion after all these years. Now, before I say that, you know, the way that Gil approached doing hypnosis, right? Very sweet. You know, it's like he yes. wanted to talk you into hypnosis, you know, doing all these real, real man, manly type things. You know, he was real parental in his approach. Or you get into NLP, NLP was more, and, and Ericksonian hypnosis was more maternal than the paternal approach. Yes. So they kind of. The two of them are very different. Yes. They're, they're very different. And, you know, I, I threw away Gill's approach, you know, to being so forceful because I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't like that because what happens is that when you get people that come into your office who have had, you know, backgrounds of abuse or whatever, last thing they want is for you to yell at them, to scream at them, to or whatever it is. 
Right. Yes. But I took all of that and I used that in my shows. So that was good for demonstrating hypnosis and being a badass up on stage. So so that aspect I utilized on stage because that part was good because I could I could take that. The maternal approach, though, which is probably more of what I use now. So to answer your question, uh, everybody is already in a trance. And there's nothing that we have to do to hypnotize a person. When we realize that people are in a trance, all we have to do is understand the trance that they are in, go into that trance with them, and then we can understand that. Because if you, instead of trying to, to, to change somebody, understand where they're at, and then... jump into their reality, feel it, understand that, then you can guide them out of that when you realize that they're already in a trance. So really, we are dehypnotizing them because they're already hypnotized when they come to see us, right? Yeah, but you know, everybody's in a trance. You know that. Everybody's yeah, already, everybody's, yeah. Everybody's hypnotizing. So, you yeah. know, my, the only question that I have is, does it work for you? <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, work that's a pretty good question. Does it you know, work for you? Last year, you know, it, it, you know it's, it's like the only trance that I don't like is the... Is the the pedophilia, the satanic, and the murderers. I don't like those those people. I won't work with any of them. No. You know, those are just evil, horrible, horrible, horrible people. And that that's a whole different kind of work anyway. That gets more into working with spirituality. It's not so much hypnosis. You know, kind of like, you know, when you get you know, like demon possession and things like that, that I believe is absolutely real without a shadow of a doubt. And that's, that's not really hypnosis. So you're doing spiritual work and yeah. that's, that's completely different. But, uh, yeah, but people are people are already in a trance. When I train people, you know, I'll take them out. You know, we'll, we'll wander around, or we'll go to restaurants, or we'll go to places, and we'll just sit down, and I'll just have them, you know, just start looking at people, and I just ask the question. It's like, what kind of a trance are they in? They go, what do you mean? I go, watch them for a few minutes, you know, and see. Yeah. Imagine you could just like jump inside their body and become who they are and feel what they're thinking. Yeah, then you can feel that, you know. And, yeah. uh, I think that's one of the, I think one of the processes they teach, I think in NLP, you know, with the early process, you sit across from somebody and you look at them and you mirror you, them and yeah. yeah. And then you, you, you know, try to, you know, to feel what they're feeling. And, and, yes. and it's actually pretty amazing when you do that because you really can be pretty damn spot on when you learn how to do it very well. Yes. Um, I, I had been doing that for, you know, most of my life, you know, cause I, uh, I just, I see things in people. I always have, you know, I can, I can read a person pretty well. You know, studying hypnosis, studying NLP and studying, you know, uh, spirituality and shamanism. It kind of fine tuned a lot of stuff that I intuitively already was doing and what I knew, but it helped me to understand what I was doing and to, and to be better at what I was doing. And psychology going to, going to college just, it gave me the ability to have a conversation with somebody who was smart in a way that was intelligent <laughs> to them, not to me. <laughs> now tell, tell me, Dan, what do you do now? Because I know you still practice hypnosis, so uh, you're still helping people. I know you stepped away from, from doing live events, but if, if any of the uh, listeners want to reach out to you, where they can go to find out more? Yeah, they, you know, if, if you want more information, just go to my website at sleepnow.com. And you can get a hold of me there. Uh, I believe there's a contact page on there. There should be. There is a contact page there, and you still do consultations. So, I um, yeah. yeah. I started doing Zoom conferences. Actually, I started with Skype 
probably about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, just because when I began to do international travel, you know, I had people who wanted to work with me and I was stuck with working on a computer, which I, you know, I carried on to this day. So I would say probably 90% of my clientele is here, you know, in the computer world. I still see some people here locally. You know, if people wanted to see here, I have a home office. So people mm-hmm. come here to my home office and I'll see them here. That's great. So if, if any of the listeners wish to do a consultation with you or one-on-one, they can always go to sleepnow.com, correct? They can. Yeah. Perfect. Don, I want to thank you so much for being here with me. I so appreciate that. And, you know, I'm sure I'll bring you back again. And I'm sure that uh, my listeners took away a lot of nuggets from your learnings, from your experience. And I want to say thank you for being here. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure uh, having this conversation with you and thank you for inviting me. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Rewired Inspired Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues, friends and family. Do you have a question, comment or topic idea for a future episode? Please reach me directly at elenapetrescu.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Stay inspired as there is unlimited potential in your life and business. Thank you for listening.